2 Timothy. We're cruising through 2 Tim, uh, the Bible and we're in 2 Timothy tonight. We'll look at these four chapters. We looked at chapter 1 last week, which is, or excuse me, 1 Timothy uh, last week, which is six chapters. Tonight we'll look at 2 Timothy and there's a lot in there. So um, we're going to look at, <clears throat> look at that and then Titus, uh, the next book we'll look at next week and maybe combine it with a little one chapter book of Philemon also. But Lord willing, weather permitting also, never know this time of year. So uh, 2 Timothy has four chapters and the theme of 2 Timothy for the most part is living in the last days. Um, you see a good bit of that in chapter 3 and 4. Although this is the second t- uh, letter that Paul wrote to Timothy and uh, he wrote two to him, 1 2 Timothy. We looked at 1 Timothy last week. And this is a little bit shorter. Last one, First uh, Timothy six chapters. This is four, but um, this has a great deal in it as well. Timothy was a pastor, and so Paul writes to him. And we'll look a little bit about uh, Timothy's background tonight here in just a moment. We didn't really have time to do it last week due to time, but there's a verse in here that really uh, helps us see a little bit of biography about Timothy. And we'll go to Acts about that in just a little bit. Acts sixteen. But anyway, let's move on. It was written somewhere. Around 60, uh, 66 A.D., first typo, the one on the top should say 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy was written 62 to 65, and then a year or maybe a couple of years at the most later, Paul wrote 2 Timothy. That is right, it is 2 Timothy. The first one should say 1 Timothy. It was written 66 A.D. Uh, Paul's mis- third missionary journey went somewhere till about 60... Uh, I've got on there 66, that's probably not right because... Actually, he went to Rome after his third journey. So that's probably about, should be about 62 to maybe 64 A.D. And then he went to Rome about a year later, if that long. And so by this time, Paul had, uh, at the end of the book of Acts, he had been living in his own house. The scripture says in Acts 28 as it closes out. But uh, at some point for preaching the gospel again, he was imprisoned uh, after Acts 28 completed. Uh, Paul was in prison. Uh, for preaching the gospel, and he was martyred there in Rome at 66 A.D. So uh, some believe that 2 Timothy could have been written to Timothy and finished just a very, very short time before Paul was martyred. Uh, So this is the last letter that he wrote to Paul. Now again, next week we'll see Titus and Philemon that Paul wrote, of course, but um, uh, time-wise, this is the last one that he wrote before he was martyred. Some think it could have been just a matter of uh, days or weeks at the most before he was martyred for his faith that, he fin- that this letter was finished and sent to, uh, to Timothy, whom he calls his son in the faith, and we'll see that uh, tonight. So look at a quick breakdown, and um, at least three of the four chapters are, are real well. Two of the chapters are real smooth pretty much in our outline, but the second, the third part of the outline goes from chapter 3 into chapter 4. Chapter 1, the theme of that is the assurance through the gospel. And the key verse there we'll look at uh, a little later is verse number 12, where Paul says, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. And in fact, one of our old uh, hymns in, in our book um, comes from that very verse. Chapter 2 uh, talks about being active and serving the Lord, and we're going to spend a little time uh, in chapter 2, uh, just a few moments. And then chapter 3, verse 1, down through chapter 4, verse 5, we see apostasy. We see its description and its treatment, and we'll talk about that. What is apostasy? Well, it's just a long word that means the falling away. And so two weeks ago, 
when we looked at 2 Thessalonians, we combined 1 and 2 Thessalonians. When we looked at 2 Thessalonians, we saw that phrase, the falling away. We'll go back to it tonight and talk about that. What does it mean? Uh, what does apostasy mean? What does, it, what does it mean to fall away from something? So that's chapter 3, verse 1, through the first five verses of chapter 4, 4, verse 5. And then the rest of chapter 4 is allegiance to the Lord, His Word, and His work. And Paul ends up talking about his life uh, in, that, in, in, in uh, reference to that, and he encourages Timothy to continue on allegiance to the Lord, to God's Word, and to God's work. And he, he talks about that in chapter 4. We'll actually break that down a little bit too here in a few minutes. Go to uh, chapter 2. Actually, let's start at verse 1 and we'll read down through verse number 5 and look at a little bit of biography about Timothy and his life. Uh, we, we looked at it just for a minute in uh, 1 Timothy last week, but look at spend a little more time in it tonight. Chapter 1, verse 1, 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, and, of course, that isn't a biological son. That's his son of the faith. He calls him in, in 1 Timothy. My dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So, um, apparently the last time he saw Timothy, there was tears. They knew they would part and maybe possibly not even see each other again, which was probably a very common thing during that time uh, because many times they would be sent to serve the Lord in far, far places and some of Paul's friends, and we'll see in chapter 4 indeed, some of them that he never got to see again in this life. And so, But it brought joy to him to know that Timothy was serving the Lord. Verse 5, this is what we're going to look at. When I call to remembrance... The unfeigned faith, to un, something that's unfeigned means it's not faked. It's not something that's, uh, it, it's something that is genuine. Let's put it in the positive that way. It's something that's genuine. Uh, faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother, some pronounce it Eunice, but I pronounce it Eunice. I actually had two great aunts by those names, Lois and Eunice. They were sisters of my grandmother's. But anyway, uh, Eunice is probably the way I've heard it pronounced most. So that was his mother, and his grandmother was Lois, which was obviously Eunice's mother. And I am persuaded that in thee also. So um, Paul knew that Timothy had been taught by a godly mother and a godly grandmother. Um, hold your place there. We'll come back to 2 Timothy in just a moment, but go to Acts 16 for just a moment. Acts chapter 16. And this is where Paul and Timothy first meet. And Paul is on um, his second missionary journey at this point that started in chapter 15. And they're traveling. He's, he's traveling uh, on the second missionary journey with Silas. And um, chapter 16, verse 1, let's look at verse 1 and 2. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there. So at this point, he's already a believer. He's already uh, believed on Christ, and he's a disciple. A disciple is a learner, a follower. Um, you know, not one of the 12 original of Jesus, but a disciple is, is another name for a follower. A certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Of course, that's the long version of the name Timothy. The son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, 
and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported uh, of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So we see a few things about Timothy here. He was already a believer when Paul met him. Paul uh, did not lead him to Christ. He was already a believer. Uh, somehow he had trusted the Lord through some means. Somebody got the gospel to him. And um, he's called a disciple. So he was following, serving the Lord of a certain woman which was a Jewess. And it means that she was, you know, Jewish. Uh, and she was a believer. So she was, um, her nationality was, was a Jew, but she uh, had believed and trusted in Christ. And so when we saw in, in 2 Timothy 1, her name's Eunice, and she's a believer. And then it says there, um, which was well reported of by the brethren. So he was a believer. He was well reported and uh, had apparently was, was at some point of leadership among believers there. Probably not a pastor at this time. He could have been. But um, at any rate, he was, he was faithful in serving the Lord. And so it says there that he was well reported of by the brethren. So, you know, there, was, um, there were good things to say about him. He had a good testimony among, his other, uh, among the other believers. And so Paul got to know him, and he became his, quote-unquote, son of the faith. Again, he didn't lead him to the Lord, but he helped him grow in grace. And so uh, I can think back in my life over the years, I can think of a, a handful of uh, people in my life that uh, they didn't lead me to Christ, but they were very, very important in my spiritual growth. Um, from the time I was a teenager and then as I got older, um, there, there were different ones that came in my life at different times that helped me with my spiritual growth. And then eventually as God called me to the ministry, those who were a blessing to me. And um, I think about them often and I'm thankful for them. And so that was what uh, Timothy was to Paul or that Paul was to Timothy, however you want to look at it. Go, to, um, go back to 2 Timothy, if you will, for second verse, uh, chapter 3 this time. So... His mother and his grandmother were very instrumental in him understanding about the faith. So it's quite likely that his mother or his grandmother, maybe the both of them together, are the ones who led him to Christ. Um, look at chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a child, remember he's raised by a godly mother, Eunice, a godly grandmother, Lois, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So, uh, from the time he was very young, he was taught the word, um, is, you know, what they, what they had of it from the Old Testament by his mother and grandmother, and he knew the Holy Scriptures from a very early age, and he came to know Christ as Savior. Next thing we see, we're going into chapter 2. Um, we'll come back to some places um, that we're skipping over right now. But you look at chapter 2, and it gives us uh, several pictures, so to speak, of faithful believers. It gives us some descriptions that Paul uses to describe faithful believers, faithful Christians. Um, the first one is in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and that is that of a mentor. Someone who, um, whether it's, um, I mean, uh, whether it's a you know, man uh, teaching others or a woman teaching ladies or whatever, as we'll see in the book of Titus next week a little bit more, um, we'll come back to the same idea. But he says in verse 1 and 2, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
And so that's basically mentoring. That's basically discipleship. And that's what God had called uh, Paul to do. And he told Timothy, Timothy, do the same thing. Timothy was a pastor at this point. And he says, equip these men. Equip them with what they need spiritually. Pass along what I pass along to you. Commit this to them that they'll be faithful men. And that they can indeed turn around and teach others also. Back in the 90s, Dallas Home had a song that he wrote called Chain of Grace where... Um, you know, someone leads someone to Christ or helps teach someone, and they turn around and do the same thing, lead someone to Christ or help teach others, and they turn around and do the same thing. And that's what's been going on for centuries ever since the book of Acts. Somebody helped you, somebody taught you, and so he says to Timothy, Timothy, you do that same thing. Teach others that, um, that they can turn around and as well teach others. We'll come back to this idea a little bit more next time when we study in the book of Titus because there's a place in chapter 2 about that. So we won't spend a lot of time on that. But anyway, basically the first one is a picture of a mentor, a teacher. Second, uh, we'll go on to the next two. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it's a picture of a soldier. Uh, as Christians, we get into battle, not with each other. We shouldn't, but we, we get into battle with our enemy. Um, Paul describes in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not against human beings, not against people, but against principalities and powers. We know our enemy is, is Satan, our enemy are his forces. And so he says to be a good soldier, verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3, thou therefore endure hardness, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that I may please him, talking about the Lord, please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So um, he tells him, endure hardness. Uh, go into battle, Timothy, and stand strong like a soldier does in physical battle. Stand strong in spiritual battle. Chapter 5, he likens a Christ, uh, faithful Christian to an athlete. And if a man strive for the masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. And so uh, that's another term for um, striving for, to, to, to receive a crown, to receive a reward for a race that is run or for um, any of, back in those days, they had similar to what we know of now as the Olympic Games, they had the Greek Games that had many of the same things um, that are now in our Olympic Games. They didn't, probably didn't have skiing or things like that, but they had, you know, races that were run, different types of races, sprints, um, you know, relay race or whatever. Uh, they, had, they had that often. They also, also had a form of wrestling uh, and a form of boxing in that day. And so he tells him, he says, uh, Timothy, uh, continue on and strive for the mastery. Keep striving to win. Keep striving to be crowned and, and uh, do it uh, right. Do it lawfully. In other words, do go with the rules. Don't go against the rules. So third picture is that of an athlete striving to win a, win a prize. The next one, the fourth one is in verse six. And that is of a, for lack of a better term, just a farmer. Verse 6, for the husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. Uh, husbandman um, in those days can apply, uh, well, nowadays it's, it's uh, applied also sometimes to livestock, but it was applied in that day to one who kept um, basically a farm or a garden. Jesus said to the disciples in John 15, I am the vine, you're the branch. He says, my father is the husbandman. That is the one who is the, the owner of the vineyard, right? So he says the vineyard or the, the owner of the vineyard, the husbandman uh, that laboreth must for, uh, be 
first partaker of the fruits. In other words, uh, to labor and serve the Lord, God's going to give you fruit and then, of course, reward because of that. But be faithful like a farmer. Um, the husbandman that, that took care of a vine, he would have to prune that vine when it needed pruning. He would have to, uh, to make sure weeds didn't uh, choke out and the nutrients that it needed. Skip to verse 15, and this is the next one. This is of a student or of a, it's called a workman, but it would, we would also think of it as a student because the very first word is study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he tells him, Timothy, study, and it takes work. In fact, um, I don't think we got to this verse last week. We may next week in Titus when we talk about pastors some more. Um, Paul said um, in 1 Timothy 5, he said something about pastors laboring in the word and doctrine. And so uh, he tells him, uh, Timothy, study, be a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly divide the word, Timothy. Uh, and so he, he likens a faithful Christian to a workman, to study. Uh, if you were ever involved with Awana ministry, that's the key verse there uh, from Awana back, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Then skipping down to chapter 2, verse 20. And he likens uh, the Christian life for us to be faithful as a vessel under honor. Chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. For, uh, he says, but, excuse me, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. So um, there may be vessels that are made out of gold, silver, maybe even wood, or made out of, 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 uh, of earth, of, you know, like uh, of, of soil. Um, it's, it's a vessel. Some of them may be honor, uh, made to honor, but some may be made to dishonor. But nevertheless, they're, they're vessels. And so he says, um, you know, not, not everything in a house is going to be a gold vessel. Probably not many of us have gold or silver, but it says of wood and of earth. Verse 21, if any man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace within the call of the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strive. So uh, it talks about being a vessel, a vessel unto honor. God can certainly use a dirty vessel if he wants to, but he would much rather use a clean vessel, a vessel that's a vessel unto honor. And he tells Timothy that, that very thing, be a vessel unto honor. Then one more picture of a Christian and of a faithful believer is in verse 24 to 26, and that is that of a servant. In fact, um, um, that's, that's the main, the, one of the main uh, pictures given, both Old and New Testament, for someone who um, that God has called to do something for him, that is a servant. Jesus said, the servant is not greater than his master. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to uh, be ministered unto, but to minister. Minister is another word for serve. And so verse 24 to 26, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, that means able to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So he says the servant of the Lord, first of all, must not strive, must not be somebody that's always looking to start some kind of argument or some kind of fight. He says a servant must be, as he says there, uh, gentle unto all men, apt to teach patient. But it's not a pushover, though. Look what it says in verse 25. In meekness, 
you know, be meek about it, but instruct those that oppose themselves. Instruct those that are, as he'll tell Timothy in just a few moments, that, that are uh, falling to false doctrine, to, to, um, to error. Instruct them. Do it with meekness, but instruct them. Let them know, you know, what's right and what's wrong biblically. So those, those are um, about six pictures of a believer. Uh, and that sixth one, or the last one there is a servant must not strive. All right, let's look a little bit more in the scenic route. Let's, let's take a little look at this. We talked about this a little bit in 2 Thessalonians, and I said we'd come back to it tonight when we got into 2 Timothy, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, if you hold your place in 2 Timothy, go back with me to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. So Paul, um, it's at least not in my Bible, the word apostasy is not found, but it is a word uh, that describes something, and it describes a falling away. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 3, we see that phrase, falling away. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, what day? The day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first. So, um, I think it was Sharon last week that had asked a question about Revival, or someone that had asked a question about revival, and you don't see anything in Scripture that talks about a great revival before the Lord comes back. In fact, when we read this tonight, you're going to see it's going to be the opposite in most cases. So the word apostasy, the definition of it, it simply means a falling away. It's an abandonment of what one has pro professed. It is to forsake something that one has previously held to. So the falling away doesn't apply to lost people. It applies to believers that fall away. And we'll see some verses about that in just a moment. But it's an abandonment of what one has professed. It's forsaking what one has previously held to. Now what we're about to look at in the next several verses in 2 Timothy 3, certainly these things are true in the world. But unfortunately, as Paul writes about these things in the last days, unfortunately, these things would be true, uh, would be true of believers, and I believe we're at that, that point now. So the description of apostasy. Look at verse 1, verse 1 of chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Go back to where we were. This know also that in the last days, that's where we are, Perilous times shall come, very difficult times. We're living in difficult times in our world politically, economically, uh, spiritually, uh, every way you can think of. There, we're living in some very perilous times. They shall come. And then he begins to describe what those times are going to be like when it comes to people. Look at the very first one right out of the box, verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. So that one right there spearheads, and it's the source of all the rest of them that you read down through there. When you just start reading down through each of those, they all, uh, they all stem out of those where it says men shall be lovers of their own selves. That is, they'll love self more than anybody else, and it's made evident as you read down through this list. So because of time's sake, we don't have time to go into all of these tonight. But pick a bit, uh, continue verse 2, and I'll read for now down to verse number 8, and then we'll skip actually. Well, yeah, read down to verse 8 right now, starting at verse 2 again. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, um, 
Again, lovers of their own selves. Covetous is always wanting something. Uh, one of the, you know, the, the last of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, thou shalt not covet. Paul says in uh, Colossians that covetousness is idolatry. Um, it's not wrong to admire something somebody else has. That's not a bad thing. But to covet it and want it for yourself because that is where you know, theft begins. That's where jealousy begins. Boasters, proud. So look at, look at these and see how love, a person being a lover of their own self, how it just stems from that. Uh, boasters, they boast about their self. They talk about all the things that they do. Proud, uh, that was one of Satan's original, you know, that's what his original downfall, his pride. Blasphemers, people who say things, speak things against God. Um, we're living in a day where some of the language that you see on TV and that you hear in, in, in actual life, Growing up, I mean, it wouldn't have heard that. It was, you know, it was unheard of back then. It was something very rare if you heard it. But now, I mean, some of the some of the blasphemy people say things about God. It's just unbe- just unbelievable the way that people just have no regard for Him anymore. Disobedient to parents, of course, that's always been, but it's more more in the last days, as Paul says. Unthankful, uh, without any kind of gratitude, not thankful for anything. Um, you know, we, we, we live in a, in a time, every year it seems like it gets worse. Now, a lot of people I know, they, they love Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving time of the year, but most people, they just call it Turkey Day, and they don't, they don't even think about anything to be thankful for. They just, you know, give me turkey and let me watch football. They, there's, they don't sit and reflect on anything to be grat- uh, grateful to God for. Unthankful, unholy, that is um, um, completely without any, you know, moral, spiritual value whatsoever. Without natural affection. Now that branches into a lot of things. Um, it um, it can it can be something as simple as you know the way God designed marriage between a man and a woman. Um, you know anything other than that is without natural affection. But also without natural affection can apply to some other ways. Um, where you see um, once in a while you'll see these horrible headlines. They're they're they're, they're sickening. They're terrible and they're not, not very pleasant to talk about in public, let alone to hear about. But you know you'll see where a a parent will you know they'll they'll kill their own child. You know things like that. Just horrible. That's without natural affection. Natural affection is a love for you know between a man and woman. But it's also love parent to child, family love, uh, things like you know things that um, are natural that God created it that way. Truce breakers. False accusers, incontinent, that means no control. Fierce, we see, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, we, we see violence that just seems like it escalates, gets worse all the time. Despisers of those that are good. Now, it's talking about Christians even here, despising other believers. Traitors, heady, high-minded, that's people that, you know, it's all about what they know and Nothing that flows from them, you know, practical from it. They 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 know a lot, but they're they're not anything that's helping them um, in their daily living with with the Lord with others. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Love pleasure more than they love God. They're not going to say they don't love God, but love pleasure more. Verse five: Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. For this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
And then he gives an example from back in Exodus. These men are not aimed, uh, named in Exodus, but in the, in the New Testament they're given names. Now as Jannes and Jambres withstood Moses. This is talking about two of, the, uh, of Pharaoh's men. Remember when, when Moses stood at the river? Uh, the uh, the river and turned the water into blood, and those two magicians of Pharaoh did. You know they tried to to do the same thing. They withstood him. Look what it says. So do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They resist the truth. So that uh, if you go back and read over those and do some of your own personal study and scripture about those, maybe you take a concordance and look up some of those. Um, it's, it's just amazing when you look at all that and see how those things are found over and over in Scripture. But it describes what things are going to be like. Let's skip down to verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's talking about, as we're about to see, uh, false teachers and, and preachers that are not preaching the truth, um, they'll, they'll deceive and they themselves will be deceived and turn around and deceive others. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers having itching ears. That means they want to have someone who will, who will you know, uh, tell them what they want to hear. That's, that's, itching ears is a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, kind of a word picture, an idea that they want to, to hear something that's, that's pleasant, not anything bad. Verse 4. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So this is a description of what apostasy is about. And it's, it's a falling away from something you once held. And that's, you know, it just becomes a steady uh, uh, slope in the wrong direction because continually hearing deception and just wanting to hear things that make you feel good, not truth. And so that's a description of it. Let's look at the cause of it. Uh, we already looked at chapter Four, through verse 13, that they were uh, deceivers. And chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, that they would um, not endure sound doctrine. But back up to uh, 1 Timothy, if you will, for a moment. We were there last week. We looked at this verse, but we didn't spend much time on it. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. So as Paul's writing this, he's very, very convinced by the Holy Spirit of this truth. That in the latter times... Some shall, there's our word, depart from the faith. That's a falling away. Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And remember we saw in 2 Timothy 3.14, um, or excuse me, 3.13, deceivers, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, uh, turning their ears to the truth and turning their ears to fables. And so um, the cause of it, for the most part, is, uh, is false teaching uh, going on. Um, in, in a lot of pulpits, unfortunately. Second Peter, one more reference, and we'll get back, we'll get back on track a little bit in, in uh, Second Timothy. Here's another reference, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness. Remember we saw that one of the things Paul listed, um, lovers of their own selves, the very next thing was covetous. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So um, 
we see that these deceivers that continue deceiving others with false teaching, um, they're getting gain from it. They're, they're making money from it. They're, it says make merchandise. That means making money from it. So uh, the cause of it is false teaching in, in pulpits. And then so the treatment, let's look at the treatment of it. Go back to 2 Timothy 2. We saw this a while ago. This, the things that Paul says, I've taught you, Timothy, teach those to faithful men. The things you've seen from me and you heard me teach you, pass them along to faithful men, and they will turn around. They can pass them along to others also. So the treatment for, for apostasy is, um, is to be able to continue you know, teaching, preaching the word uh, clearly to folks. Um, chapter 2, verse 15, of course, we saw a while ago to uh, study to show thyself approved unto God. And then chapter 3, we looked uh, at verse four, uh, 15, excuse me, a moment ago. But let's back up to verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. Timothy, keep, keep continuing in them. You've been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Keep on. Continue in them. Verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished in all good works. So that's the treatment for it. That's the treatment for apostasy is continuing in the Word, being taught right, taught clearly. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. I charge thee, he says to Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, that's the living and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So um, that's that's continuation of what we saw in chapter 3 of, um, of God's word and what it does in our life. It corrects us, it reproves us. And so for the pastor and teacher that preaches and teaches it, and for the, um, the, uh, the believer who is fed and growing, that will, that will result um, some growth in their life to be able to uh, stay, stay um, strong in faith. Look at, um, go back to Ephesians for just a moment to your left, Ephesians 4. So that's why he gives... Um, Gives us pastors, gives us evangelists and teachers of the word to equip us spiritually. Ephesians chapter 4, start at verse 11. Paul says this. And this again, we're looking at how to, the cure for apostasy, right teaching, right doctrine. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Now, again, that doesn't mean sinlessness. That means growing us like we should be spiritually for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Of course, that won't happen in its fullness till we get to heaven. Verse 14, then we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth, I'm glad he didn't put a period there, speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So if we speak the truth without love, that can be rather harsh at times. If we speak love without truth, well, that's not going to do anybody good. So he says, speak the truth in love. 
And so uh, that is indeed the treatment. Let's look at uh, one or two other things real quick. Go with me back to 2 Timothy 4. So uh, biblical preaching and teaching, right preaching and teaching and doctrine helps uh, treat apostasy. But here's another thing, chapter 4, verse 8 of 2 Timothy. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Look for the Lord's return. And to keep, um, keep your eye on his return, looking for him to come back, that will help cure apostasy. That will help cure a falling away because you continue to keep your eyes on him and not on people, not on, not on uh, circumstances, but to look at him and keep looking at him. Um, we don't have time for these, but uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 10, tells us, Peter says that we're given everything that we need that pertains unto life and godliness. He said, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge. And he says, if you do these things, you'll never fall. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 to 10. If you'd like to write those down, maybe read those later. For lack of time, we're not going to be able to get to that tonight. And then 2 Peter 3, verse 17 and 18, tell us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So um, those are uh, treatments for apostasy to keep from falling away in these days when uh, it, is, it is prevalent. It is something that uh, unfortunately is happening, not only in America, but in other places in the world too, the falling away. All right, Paul says Timothy, basically going to chapter 4 now, we, we read verse 8 just then, but starting at verse 9, down through verse 22, uh, in so many words, he basically says, Timothy, hurry, there's not much time left. In fact, he tells him in verse um, 9, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Look at verse 21. He tells him, he puts it this way, uh, do, thy diligence, do thy diligence to come before winter. In fact, he says come before winter uh, in another place also. But um, he, says, uh, he says, hurry, Timothy, come before winter, come before it gets cold. Uh, in fact, he tells him in, um, in verse uh, 13, he says, I left a cloak, uh, a coat that I had to, to, to cover me. It's cold, Timothy. I need that. Uh, bring that with you. Bring the books, verse 13, and especially the parchments, probably the letters that Paul had written, and they'd, they'd sent copies to other churches. So um, he says, hurry, Timothy, there's not much time. But even in doing so, Paul lists some people there were all kind of places serving the Lord to some degree. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 9. We're going to skip around a couple of places. Um, Do thy diligence come shortly to me. Uh, it says there that um, there's a man named Crescens sent to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Let's look at these. So we're going basically from chapter 4, verse 9 to 22, and then we'll come back uh, to 19 to 21. Let me go to that next slide for, okay. Yeah. Let's, let's pick up here. Um, so he mentions a man named Crescens, verse 10, who's in Galatia. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the believers at Galatia and Crescens was there serving the Lord. There's a man's name, Crescens. Titus, Lord willing, we'll look at his letter next week. Um, he's in a place, a region called Dalmatia, which was, uh, in the Asia Minor region. He was serving the Lord there. Then it says, um, we're going to skip over this because we're going to come back to it in just a moment. Um, verse 11, we'll come back to that in a moment. Look at verse 12. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. Paul had written a letter 
uh, to the Ephesian believers before as well. So he sent a man named Tychicus there to serve the Lord. Verse 13, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. It's another man that uh, was serving the Lord in a region there around somewhere close to around Greece or, or um, might have been uh, rather, I'm sorry, um, Asia uh, Minor there that was serving the Lord in that area. Um, then verse 19 to 21, salute Prisca and Aquila. Now, she's also, her name is also Priscilla. So that's probably a short. That would like be calling uh, uh, a woman named Elizabeth, maybe naming her, calling her Beth or Liz. It's like shortening a word, a name. Priscilla was her long name, but Prisca was also a name apparently for. And she's found, she and Aquila are found in the book of Acts a time or two. Uh, salute Prisca and Aquila in the household of Anesiphorus. He had a, a church in his home. Verse 20, Erastus abode at Corinth. But Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Trophimus was another faithful brother, but Paul left him there. He was, he was sick when he left him. Uh, verse 21, do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. So um, there were you know, brothers and sisters scattered out, serving the Lord. And he says, greet them for me. Tell them I love them in the Lord, thank, and I thank, I thank God for what they're doing uh, for the Lord. Let's look quickly at a few other people here. Here's a man named Demas, who apparently was a deserter. Now we're talking about a falling away. Demas is a, a picture of this, as uh, an example of this rather. Look at verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Now notice it mentions different ones leaving, you know, they were, they were in certain places like Crescens and Galatia and Titus and Dalmatia, but they were there serving the Lord. Something happened to Demas. We don't know what it was. We don't know what happened to him, but it says that he loved this present world. So apparently he quit serving the Lord. So when Paul said he's forsaken me, he had not only left Paul in serving the Lord, but apparently he, he went back to the world. Go with me to um, the book of Colossians to your left. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 14. Luke, the beloved physician, we'll come back to Luke in a moment in 2 Timothy, but Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So there was a time back when Paul wrote the book of Colossians, Demas was apparently with Paul, as was Luke. And Demas was serving the Lord with Paul. Don't know what happened to him. Something happened to him, and he went back into the world. Look at the little tiny book of Philemon. When you leave 2 Timothy, you'll go to Titus. Then you'll go to a one-chapter book called Philemon. And we'll probably get to it next week, Lord willing. But it says in Philemon, it's only one chapter, and verse 24 says, Marcus, which is another name for Mark, we'll actually see him in a moment, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, which is another name for Luke, my fellow laborers. So Demas once served the Lord. He was once, you know, traveled with Paul. Something happened to him. We don't know what it was. In Luke chapter 8, verse 14 Jesus talks about in the parable of the, of the sower and the soils and the seed. He talks about there um, uh, the seed that grows up among thorns. And it says this, Luke 8, 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. So that, that describes somewhat Demas. He, for whatever reason, the Bible says that he loved this present world. The second 
uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 1 John 2 verse 15 to 17. So something happened to Demas. We don't know what it was. But by the time Paul got to the end of his life, Demas had went back into the world. Now I hope that at some point Demas come back and got things right with the Lord. I sure hope so. But nevertheless, uh, that's a sad mention. Now here's some good mentions. 4.11, only Luke is with me. Luke was a faithful brother. Luke was actually, by, by his profession, he was a physician. Uh, we saw in Colossians a while ago, this is Luke, the beloved physician. Paul had a physician with him to travel with him most all the time. And when you read the book of Acts, Paul, uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then later wrote the, the book of Acts. In fact, when you see described in uh, the book of Acts, we sailed here. We traveled here. That's when Luke is with Paul at the time. He wasn't with him all the time on every journey, but when he says we, Luke's with him at that time. So at the very end of his life, when Paul's about to be martyred for his faith, he's there in that prison cell right there close by is Luke. Only Luke is with me. What a faithful friend. You and I need faithful friends as believers in Jesus Christ. As someone well said, there are not many forever friends in life. And there aren't. But every one of us need good, faithful friends. I have you know, some from over the years that I've known a long time. I've got some friends that have gone to be the Lord. So until heaven, we're not. not that I've known some friends that I'm no, you know, no longer in touch with. I don't know if they're serving the Lord or not. But nevertheless, he said, Luke is with me. What a faithful friend. And that's, a, that's a, definitely a good highlight is Paul, even though he's about to, uh, to, his life's about to be ended. Here's a happy ending. He says in chapter 4, verse 11, after he says, Luke is with me, take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Mark is also called John Mark. Now, it's not the same as the Apostle John, but, you know, like a lot of people in Scripture, you know, they would have two names, and John was obviously a common name. There was John the Baptist and John the, the Apostle. And so this is John Mark. And way over in the book of Acts, chapter 12, I'm just going to hit a couple of highlight verses real quick because we're running out of time tonight. Acts chapter 12, the Bible says this, and it, lists, it mentions him with his full name, uh, John Mark. Acts chapter 12, um, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So his name is John Mark. Most of the time, uh, or several times in, in the book of Acts, he's called John, and that's not to be mis mistaken with John the Baptist. But here he's called John Mark. Now look at chapter 13 of Acts in verse number 5. So they're leaving to go on their very first missionary journey, and Barnabas and, and uh, Saul are going, and they take Mark with them. Mark actually is Barnabas' nephew. Look at 13.5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John to their minister. Well, that's John Mark, chapter 12, verse 25. Uh, go over to chapter 13 and verse 1. And they were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets. Whoops, I think I got the wrong thing here. Wait a minute. Oh, I already, already did that. That's, that's right. Chapter 13, verse 6 is what I meant. Chapter 13, 6. Uh, when they'd gone through the aisle, uh, Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. At this point, I'm not going to read the whole thing for time, but there's a man that Paul um, um, 
had rebuked this man who had um, who who was um, saying that he wanted to hear the word of God, but he was uh, he was basically a sorcerer. The Bible says, and so when you read on down through there. Get to verse 13. Now Paul, when his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, that's John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So Mark, at the, in that first missionary journey, he left to go back home. Maybe that, that happened with that sorcerer. Might, that might have been too much for him. I don't know. We, maybe things got tough. Maybe he missed home. Nobody, you know, Scripture doesn't say no one really knows exactly why he went back, but he went back to Jerusalem, went back to where he came from. When you get over to chapter 15, look at verse 36. I know this is long, but I'm making a point. Chapter 15, look at verse 36. And some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again, getting ready to go on their second missionary journey together. Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. So the second missionary journey was not only one of evangelism, but it was also one of follow-up and discipleship and teaching and seeing how people were growing in the Lord. Verse 37, and Barnabas determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So remember, he turned around, chapter 13, and went back home. Look at verse 39. And the contention was so sharp between them, between Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder, one for the other. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And the Bible says that Paul, verse 40, took Silas. Um, Barnabas took Mark. Paul took Silas. And they separated from each other and, and um, parted ways. It was so sharp between them. Paul saw something in Mark that wasn't going to be stable spiritually. So he says, no, Barnabas, we're not going to do this. And the contention got so sharp, that second missionary journey almost didn't happen. But he chose Silas, and they left and went. Barnabas went back with Mark. Did Barnabas defect? No. I know what Barnabas did. It was his nephew. Barnabas helped him. He didn't cast him out and say, you are one rotten scoundrel. No, he stood by him. And look what Paul says in the book of Acts, bring Mark with you. He's profitable for me for the minute. I almost cry every time I see that because God knew that Mark's heart, he would come back to the things of God. Even though he, for, for a while, it got too hot. He couldn't do it. But after a while, he matured. And a lot of that was his uncle Barnabas taking him under wing, helping him maturing him. What a great, great success story in 2 Timothy 4. I love that when you read that. That is a wonderful, wonderful story. But there's also the bad ones in there. Chapter 4, verse 14 of 2 Timothy. Something happened at some point, and there was this man named Alexander. 4, verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. He did something bad to Paul. Maybe it was some way he, maybe he got him in prison there one time or whatever he did. He said he did me much evil, but Paul didn't say, I'm going to pay him back. Romans 12 says, uh, neither give place to wrath. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll repay. The Lord says that he will repay. And uh, so Paul says the Lord's going to record him, uh, reward him according to his work. So God records and makes perfect records and he's going to reward accordingly. And there will be a time when Alexander will get What's coming to him if he hadn't already? But Paul says later uh, in the book of Romans, he says, God will revenge, not us. Someone well said the best revenge is to live right. That's the best revenge. When somebody do, does you wrong, live right. That's the best revenge. So look quickly. So God called us with a holy calling, chapter 1, verse 9. 
And God called, I, what I did was I just took for tune-up, I took one from each chapter, uh, one verse. God who's called us with a holy calling. He's called us to serve Him, to live for Him. And that's not only for Timothy the preacher, that's for all believers. Study to show thyself, uh, prove it unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth, chapter 2, verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 16 tells us all Scripture is uh, given by inspiration of God. is profitable for us, all Scripture, even the things we don't understand. Keep reading it. Keep being taught. Keep learning. You'll get it. One day you'll learn it and grow in grace. And then chapter 4, verse 8, to love is appearing. Look forward to our Savior coming back. In 2 Timothy, not quite as many refer- or titles for Jesus in 2 Timothy as it was in 1 Timothy, but he's called Christ Jesus our Lord, one of Paul's favorite terms. Our Savior Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we said before, that full term, the Lord Jesus Christ, is after, you know, he'd, uh, of course he was resurrected, our resurrected Savior. And then for home address, good verses to memorize. There are so many in there. Uh, we've already talked about like, you know, study to show thyself approved unto God. That's a great memory verse. All scriptures give my inspiration. But chapter 1, verse 7, verse 12, we'll close with these. Um, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's a great verse to memorize and to think about, uh, especially in the fearful days we live in. Uh, God's not given us the spirit of fear. And then verse um, 12 is a great one, one of Paul's testimony verses. For the which cause also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So great verses to memorize uh, from Second Timothy. Let's stop there right on the dot. Any uh, questions or input or anything on Second Timothy? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and... Um... In chapter 2, uh, you might have already said this, and I may have missed it. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. Uh-huh. What does that mean, first partaker of the fruit? Um, get, get to that. That's two. Um, yeah, 2 6. Uh, must be first partaker of the fruits. Um, if it's if it's staying with the analogy, the picture of a of a you know the vine keeper, the the if we want to use the word farmer, um, the hard work, the labor, he would enjoy the fruit of that. He would enjoy the reward of that labor. And so, um, just looking at it from face value, I'd I'd say that probably he's saying for the for the faithful Christian that that serves, be like the farmer who you know works hard and then he gets the the fruit of his of his labor of his reward. He'll be the the one to get it. You know. The, fir- the, the, the first fruits that come in, he, he's what he gets that. So I would think it'd be pointing towards reward probably as, as fruit. So, And then I appreciate you um, pointing out that without natural affection, uh-huh. it can mean a lot of things. I think it can mean a lot of things other than what probably, you know, people. a lot of people jump straight to homosexuality and talk about it. And, and it can fit there, but I think it probably means a lot of things it's as far as things. natural affection. Yeah, so, yeah. All right, anything else? Very good. Well, let's stand and close in prayer and dismiss. Y'all be safe heading home, and hopefully there are no icy spots now. I hope not. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. And uh, looking forward to Freddie preaching Sunday. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time and your word tonight. So much in Second Timothy. And uh, thank you for this very final letter that Paul wrote, this in, and it's included here in Scripture for us. And we can see, Lord, in his final words that he writes, that it was getting very close. But he was very, very... 
much looking forward to going home to be with you. And Lord, one day we'll, we'll get the blessing of, of course, most importantly, seeing our Savior, but we'll get to see Paul one day and be able to talk with him and the things that he endured and went through here on earth and the letters that he wrote. They're included in Scripture that we read over and we can uh, grow from them and apply them in our lives. And uh, then to see how, as we look into them and study them a little deeper, to see the background of them, Lord, to help us to appreciate it even more. I pray that you'll watch over us as we leave them here tonight, Lord, and keep us safe as we go through the rest of our week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.